Thank you, God, for baptism. Thank you, God, for the reading of your word, for the gift of being the church. And our prayer and our hope again, Lord Jesus, is just that you would make yourself known, that you would, as we've prayed throughout Epiphany, Lord, that we would see you, see your glory, we would behold you in your glory. And I don't know what that means for every one of us. I don't know what it is, Lord, that we need, all of us, which you would have us to hear. But we give you this time, Jesus, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would, Lord, lead our affections and our thoughts to Jesus. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, gosh, y'all, there's a lot uh, I feel compelled and want to say. What a good morning. It's the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany, for one thing, which means it's the final Sunday before we begin the season of Lent. It's a baptism Sunday, and the transfiguration is the story in front of us. This is a setup for a preacher. Just let me tell you, like me looking at that clock, and I'm like, it's impossible what has to happen here in the next few minutes. Impossible task. Because um, each of those things, individually and separately, such a powerful, powerful testament to who Jesus is, and lots that could be said about all of them. And also the beauty of this tradition and the beauty of the sacrament is that, um, you know, sometimes things are just better left unsaid. And the gift of the Spirit is that um, I believe that the Lord is big enough to help each of us uh, hear what we need to hear. And so I'm going to do the best I can in the few minutes that I have um, to tell you why I feel so grateful, uh, both for the kind of the alignment of all those things. So throughout the season of Epiphany, for us, we've been talking about what it means for Jesus to be the manifestation of God's glory. That's what the season's about. It comes from a word that means manifestation. So in the person of Jesus, um, we see God made manifest. In particular, his glory is made manifest to us. And so here at Christ the King, for the last number of weeks, we've been focusing on the fact that um, you know, that could mean a lot of things. And Jesus certainly helped us see a lot of things. Um, but if you wanted to sum it all up, we could say most simply that um, Jesus is the manifestation of God's heart, of God's capacity for love. And so when we see Jesus loving people, we are seeing God's glory at work. That The glory of God is his capacity to love, to love humanity, to love us. And it's the fiercest, strongest thing that exists. There's nothing stronger than, there's nothing more powerful than God's love for us. And so we've talked about that over uh, the last number of weeks. What's um, so incredible to me about this, well, the sacrament, maybe firstly, is uh, I think one of the things that I have learned through infant baptism um, that sort of scandalizes me, sort of dares me to believe, and it's a good question, like, can I actually believe that God's love is greater than all my sin? Can I believe that? Can I believe that God's love and his grace is actually um, greater than my capacity to know or understand. Can I accept that? Um, because there's something that sort of scandalizes me about it. And so this morning, you know, we hold these small people. I do anyway. Their parents do. We do. And we choose to look at them and say, yeah, he loves you. Whatever happens before, whatever, happen, whatever happens after this moment, he has laid claim to you. He's chosen you to be his own. And that is not just true for them, y'all. The power of the sacrament is it's true for you, for all of us. What a gift. 
Today, we're looking at this incredibly powerful moment in Jesus' life on the mountain of transfiguration. There is too much that could be said about it. It tempts the Bible teacher in me because this is one of those moments that's so easy to sort of kind of miss whatever, whatever, what's being done, what Jesus is doing, when he's trying to help us see. Um, but here's the thing I want to at least say this much. Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to go up the mountain with him. And on this mountain, what happens is that we have a kind of collapsing time. This moment is foreshadowing what will be Jesus' ultimate glory, the moment in which he is most glorified, most lifted up, most exalted, which, of course, is how? Through the cross, through his resurrection, on the other side of that cross. Yes? Jesus is foreshadowing this moment of resurrection here on the mountain of transfiguration because, y'all, Jesus has gone up this mountain in an instant this mountain becomes a timeless, deathless Easter place. As is evidenced, of course, by the fact not only that Jesus has been revealed in his radiant glory, so for the first time we're actually not only like seeing him do miraculous things, but kind of like be a miracle in and of himself, the miracle and the power of God radiating from him. So there's that. We have Jesus as a human, but also like a glorified one. Not unlike, I suspect, you know, whenever he passed through the walls of the upper room and they went, that's not normal. <laughs> Definitely a body, not a normal body. Bones don't do that. You know, what is resurrection? What does it mean for our bodies, as Paul says, to be glorified, for mortality to be wrapped up in immortality? In an instant, that's what happens to Peter, James, and John. At least they get to behold that happening. They see Jesus in his radiance, in his glory, that Shekinah glory, that Old Testament glory. Chris already talked about this a number of months ago. Can't go there, although I'm tempted. It's good stuff. In addition to that, though, who's there? Elijah and Moses, who are, of course, dead people. But not here, not on this mountain. They are not dead. They live. And so we get to be reminded it's as if the veil is pulled back and the kingdom of heaven has come in a way that is very visible, very tangible. This is a deathless, timeless place. Heaven and earth have overlapped. And the kingdom of heaven is here and Peter, James, and John are caught up in an Easter place. So it's a foreshadowing of Easter, of what will happen, Jesus being the first fruits of resurrection of what will ultimately be true for Moses and Elijah as well. Oh, lots that we could talk about there. How? What does it mean for these people who are dead to not be dead, for them to exist, for Jesus to chat with them as if this is a very normal thing for him? It also looks backwards. That's what's so powerful to me. Easter is also a collision of the future and the past coming together in a kind of timeless way. If you look back, we're meant, of course, to remember that, wait, we've been here before. In Mark's gospel, his telling of it, Jesus is just radiant. His clothes, especially, Mark was taken by the dazzling whiteness of Jesus' clothes. The other gospel writers will want you to know about the face of Jesus in particular. It was his face that was glorified. It shone brighter than the sun. And we've been here before. Up a mountain, shining face. Ah, yes, Moses. Moses was invited up on the mountain with God where he spent 40 days and 40 nights with the Father, talking face-to-face -face as if with a friend, the Bible tells us. 
And at the end of which, you remember, we've talked about this just last week, he makes a bold ask of God. Hey, I want you to see your glory. That's the prayer of Epiphany. Let me behold your glory. And God passes in front of him. His goodness passes in front of him. Not the front, just the back. The back of his goodness passes in front of Moses. And after which his face was said to shine with the radiance of God. So much so that he had to do what? Ah, put a veil over his face. Can't go back down the mountain glowing. Will be freak people right out. Also, they might confuse you. Idol-making factories that we are. Confuse Moses' glory for his own glory and not the glory of God. So Moses, in his humility, he veils his face and he comes down the mountain, you know. So here's the thing that happens in this moment on the mountain of transfiguration. We have history. We're looking back. We're pulling this moment in forward into the future and we're looking ahead to the future and we're pulling the future moment here into the present and now all of a sudden we're in a timeless kind of place. The question is why? And it's twofold, both for the future, for the sake of the disciples to know, hey, we are about to come down off this mountain and when we do, we are journeying towards the cross. And you need to know who it is who goes with you and who goes before you. You need to behold me in my glory. Not just, y'all, for their faith's sake, like so they could have some, Jesus wasn't flexing up there so they could be impressed. It was like Jesus already knew the state of their faith, both then and what it would be. But it was meant to be a kind of reassurance. I am going before you. I am with you. This is my journey to the cross, and you will go with me in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your fallibility. This is my journey, but you're going to walk it with me, and you need to know who I am before we go. Similarly, we're looking back at the story of Moses. Same thing. Moses comes down off the mountain with his face all aglow so that they can leave Sinai and go where? promised land. Can you see the collapsing of both of those stories? In both instances, God has called his people to himself to say, hey, look, I am taking you home. And you didn't know who I am? The journey will be hard. You didn't know who goes before you and who is with you. Here's why that it's so important to say that, I think, for us before we begin the season of Lent is because of the genius of the lectionary is to gather us here to say the same. Hey, we're about to go into the wilderness. We need to know who it is who has called us to this place, the one who will go before us and the one who is with us. I think we have a tendency, at least I heard a lot of sermons, have a million of them, about the transfiguration, and it always ends up sort of like we've, the emphasis falls on Peter's response right? Peter sees this happen, and he responds by saying, we should stay here. I will build us booths so we can stay. Jesus gets one, Moses gets one, Elijah, and us, and we're all just going to stay here. And, you know, you've heard it said before, we can't stay on the mountaintop. That's not what it's for. We have to come down off the mountain, and that's true. But regardless of how you respond, <laughs> this story is not about Peter. This story is not about how Peter responds. God himself, the God of glory, was making himself known. And his glory is true regardless of whether we perceive it, understand it, or however we choose to respond to it. He is who he is. And so he is making himself known. 
And the beauty to me, the power of that, is that for Lent, the emphasis must be, y'all, in the same place. Lent is not about me. It is not about you. It is not about how we go through this journey. Lent is about the cross. It is about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. And I need to see him, behold him, understand who he is, so that I will be compelled to make my way through, which I will not do perfectly. Inevitably, you won't make it in exactly the way you want to. Uh, my fa- one of my favorite Lenten stories is um, somebody I love very much decided to fast salt during Lent. <laughs> um, I think she made it precisely three days. <laughs> and I remember her coming to me and saying, I failed. My soul may be in jeopardy. <laughs> Nonetheless, this is as far as I got. <laughs> and the reason I say this is because that, you know, It's kind of funny and also not funny. What does it mean that we can't go with insert whatever it is, do you know? All of your liabilities, all of your weakness, all of your sin, he already knows. It is for our sanctification that he leads us and allows us to journey with him to the cross. It is for his glory, which is how much he loves you. It's for your good. It's so you could come to know him as he is. It is so that you could strengthen your own soul, your own self. But it is not a test of your endurance. It is not a test of your will. It is not a test of your spirit. We're not testing anything, actually. The test, my friends, has already been won. We already know how the story ends. He has secured that glory for himself, and he has given it to you. Another important difference, Moses went up the mountain by himself. Nobody was allowed on Sinai except for Moses and God. Jesus takes us with him. You are Peter, James, and John. I am Peter, James, and John. I am invited up onto the mountain to behold the glory of God because Jesus has secured that right for me already no matter how I make it through this Lent. Can you believe it? The scandal of grace. So let's talk about Lent while we're at it. Say a few practical things about this season, what it means, what it's for. I didn't grow up observing Lent, and I have to make this fast, so bear with me. I didn't grow up observing this season. I didn't know what it was. It was a time when Catholics drank less, which means I got fewer tips at my honky-tonk bar where I worked. I hated Lent. Um, and if you've never observed this season before there are all kinds of caveats I could make I want to start though with a bold call you you were made and created in the image of God you are one for whom Christ died You have a soul, and that soul belongs to him. I don't know what your sins are, your addictions are, your fears are. None of that changes any of the first part of what I said. And he invites you into the wilderness with him to make you stronger, to make you more courageous, 
regardless of what's happening in your life. I have rightly heard many people say, understandably, things are hard enough. I do not need to conjure more difficulty for myself. Life is its own lint. Amen. It's not what it's about. We're not making things harder for the sake of making them harder. Instead, we are reminding ourselves that we are mortal wrapped in immortality. We are souls. We have them. And this is an invitation for you to strengthen it. So that's why we fast. Traditionally, Christians fast all kinds of things, but three things historically, meat, sweets, and alcohol. And please hear me. We fast these things historically not because they are bad, but because they are good. Lent is not the time to give up the thing that you shouldn't be doing already. (laughs) If you want to fast porn during Lent, praise God. Why don't you just repent of it, though, and keep that going throughout. (laughs) Insert whatever the thing is. It's not when we fast those things. I once had someone very seriously tell me they were giving up um, sex for Lent. (laughs) I was like, this is an incredible invitation to explain repentance to you. (laughs) It undermines the whole point, actually, what we're doing. Here's the thing. We fast really good things because they are good. And sometimes our appetites don't know how to handle really good things. So we abuse them. Rather than handling them with moderation, we handle them to the excess And so rather than having authority over our appetites, we end up being driven by our appetites. And so Lent is an opportunity to say, hey, you have spiritual authority over your appetites. They don't have to rule over you. In fact, they ought not to. You're an image bearer. The Holy Spirit wants to help you learn how to steward good things. Amen? Because we are Easter people. We're not fasting Lenten people. We are resurrection people. We are, the royal, we are a priesthood of believers. We are meant to steward holy things. Our children, our friendships, our wine, our TV, our social media. Fast it because it's good, not because it's bad. Fast it because the spirit in you is the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, and you can. Or can you? That's the question. Invite him into it. So, You can give up whatever you want to give up. I lack imagination. I've been doing this too long now to try to come up with something new every year. So I'm always fasting sweets and alcohol, and I just eat less, generally, during the season. That's not a prescription for you. I just submit it to you for whatever. And I may add something else to that, depending on what's going on in my own soul. I may choose, for example, to take something up. So here's the thing. If you would, for example, say, during this season, which is about examination and trying to be with God, I need to get up earlier and commit for six weeks to actually being with God in the morning. That means you're probably going to have to go to bed earlier. You don't fast the sleep. You see what I'm saying? So Josh and I were talking about you fast Stephen Colbert or Jimmy Fallon, not the sleep. And also, again, because they're good. Let's just maybe reclaim some of the sleep so we can get up earlier, yeah? So if I'm fasting from sweets and alcohol... When I want them and I crave them and I feel that longing, what I'm probably going to do is rather than just be miserable all day, I'm going to substitute it with something else that's better for me for a time. 
you know, drink a seltzer water, eat a vegetable or a fruit, <laughs> you know? Legalism is a trap. It is a slavery. And it is a poor substitute for the Holy Spirit. You are a Holy Spirit people. Let him tell you how to walk through the wilderness with him. Ask him genuinely. And this is something we are doing together. I won't and cannot make you fast. I would never. But I would submit to you that whatever it is you're going through, however, however hard it feels, it's because of the hard thing that he's invited you to the wilderness. Because what you need more than you need anything else is him. You need the strength of his spirit right now. So let him be with you in a particular kind of way during this time. On Sundays, we take a break from our fasting to feast. Let me say it again just to make extra clear. That does not mean we get drunk on Sundays. It does not mean that we shop for 10 hours. It does not mean we sit in front of our phones, we wake up scrolling, and we go to bed scrolling. Ah! Thank God it's Sunday. Ah! <laughs> Jesus, help us all. No. I am with my newly formed soul muscles. Do you know? It's a gymnasium. We're coming to the gym in here for a few weeks with my new muscles. I'm going to pick up wine or pick up Instagram or pick up late night or whatever your thing is. And you're going to enjoy it in the way Jesus would enjoy it. And he does. He made things good on purpose because he's good. Here's the thing. He will be with you. The only question is whether or not you will choose to be with him. That's the invitation. Will you be with me? Yeah. Help us, Holy Spirit. We look to you, Lord. We dedicate this time to you. Will you speak to us now, Jesus, in the way that only you can? Help us to put our lives in front of you, our appetites in front of you, our loves, our wants, our fears in front of you. Jesus. You are good. Help us see your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.